It's the Jenny Hatch Show, and I'm your host. These past few weeks, I've been thinking so much about the families who are struggling because they're finding it difficult to find baby formula for their infants. And I've had several conversations with friends and my son, whose wife is nursing their second child. He's just a little one-year-old baby boy. And I asked him specifically, how do you feel just knowing that you've got this covered and, you know, you don't have to have the headache of trying to find the baby formula that's not to be found. And he just said that they have friends who are really finding it difficult and they're struggling. And um, it just, he said it, it made him feel peaceful to know that they could feed their, their child. And over the years, I've thought many times about parental responsibilities around feeding our children. There is a move, and there has been for some decades, for the federal government to feed our people, whether it's through SNAP benefits or WIC or the school lunch program. There are millions and millions of dollars that are spent feeding the children of America. And I don't lament or bemoan the dollars spent feeding young families especially, uh, but I don't think we were ever intended as parents to have the federal government step in and play this vital role when it's so clearly outlined in the scriptures that we are supposed to live to work for our daily bread. By the sweat of thy brow shalt thou eat. And there's many injunctions in the scriptures where it talks about how, you know, if someone's not willing to work for their food, break his plate. So he cannot eat. And that this has been a stewardship of parents since the beginning. Adam and Eve times to go out and do the work necessary to feed our little ones. And it's honestly the sign of a sick and depraved society where the care and feeding of children is turned over to others or not done at all. And children become uh, cumbersome and uh, Parents just absolve themselves of the responsibilities of feeding and clothing and clothing and providing them with shelter. So we are where we are, which is at the crossroads of Babylon and Zion. And I would suggest to you that a Zion society is one where young couples not only feel obligated but are also supported in every conceivable way by society to feed their own children. And as we move forward, the question has to be, whose fault is it if babies go hungry? Ultimately, I believe that that responsibility mostly lies with the mother.
And so what does it mean to have a breastfeeding friendly culture and society? The culture that we were raised in, and I'm, I'm a child of the 60s, was one that women had emancipated themselves mostly from their kitchens and cooking. And while there was a huge group of American mothers, and I'll open this up to the world, there's a huge group of all mothers who know that their number one job is to feed and nurture their children. Many young moms do not feel like they have the know-how or the skills or even the desire to breastfeed a child. And we all know that breast milk is the healthiest for the baby. It's literally brain food. Breast milk has all the elements in it to grow a child's brain in the best way possible from infancy up to three years of age. And that children who are given this gift of their own mother's milk are smarter and more curious and more uh, precocious than those who are fed on baby formula, which largely comes from animal foods and soy products. And then Bill Gates is crafting some sort of fake breast milk in his bio labs and claiming it's healthier, more like breast milk than formula and easier on the, on the uh, environment than regular baby formula. So uh, that's coming down the pike. But I would suggest to you that if we are serious about America feeding its infants with the best food, the most nutritious food, that we will do everything in our power to make our culture breastfeeding friendly. So what does that look like? Well, I have a couple of suggestions for the politicians. First and foremost, foremost, let's set it up so that if a woman makes the sacrifice to breastfeed a baby, which is a full-time job, if you factor in shopping and cooking the food you need to eat, to make the milk, cleaning up afterwards, doing dishes, the work that revolves around the kitchen, which translates into the breast milk, the actual time the baby needs to actually be on the breast to manufacture the milk. And that mother makes the commitment to do this to for her child for two years. I would suggest that society make it so she never has to pay taxes again. That this investment in one of our citizens is so significant unique and important that that's the type of value we place on this mother doing this work. And then for the mother who has more than one child, perhaps has a large family, uh, we say to her, hey, we will make it not only that you never have to pay taxes, but that you will never be required to work outside your home ever again. You can just be at home with your family and nurture them and not hand her a check or some sort of a monetary remuneration for her efforts, but instead create a culture where families can easily live on one income 
And hopefully that's from the husband or the partner of the woman who's breastfeeding the child. So how do we do that? Well, our society has never had a more vivid example of this phenomenon than we have the last two years when President Biden's policies and his actions have resulted in a complete flip away from the market-based economy that President Trump and his administration was putting in place. I do not blame high gas prices and shipping problems on Putin. That's a lie. The policies of the Biden administration directly have impacted inflation rates, the shipping container malaise, and all of the spikes in gas prices, which have absolutely affected food prices, totally affected small businesses and large businesses. And right now we are on the verge of a complete economic collapse. And so it is the policies of our politicians that will create a baby-friendly and a family-friendly economic environment going forward. And I hope that you who are listening will vote for those people who will put in place sound economic policies to make it so that families can easily live on one income. And I'm not talking $15 an hour minimum wage. Nobody can live on that. I'm talking someone who puts out eight hours of solid work a day and is paid enough money that his family or her family can live comfortably, feed their children, pay their bills, and move forward with their lives. And I believe the policies outlined by President Trump put in place the Make America Great Again infrastructure will be the best way to accomplish this goal as we move forward. When the feminist movement really started revving up in the early part of the 20th century and women were first given the right to vote, the women themselves who were demonstrating would hold up baby bottles and they would say, this is what is emancipating us as women. So our grandmas and great grandmas understood that what truly tied a woman to her home and to her kitchen was the need to provide breast milk to her children or have the funds to pay for a wet nurse. And a wet nurse is a woman who would hire herself out to take care of and feed another woman's child. And those women back in the day who were loudly proclaiming this baby bottle, which back then was filled with cow or goat's milk, and then eventually became formula, this crap in a can that is just so toxic. Uh, these moms understood that they were being emancipated from the, quote, slavery 
of their mothers and grandmothers being compelled to, to breastfeed their children. And so as we go forward, I would hope that moms would consider the full-time commitment it is to breastfeed a child and then feed that child and then do the things in her own kitchen, in her own daily schedule to make certain that she is eating enough and is providing for her own. I believe properly crafting breast milk happens with lifestyle choices and habits. And when I was a new mom, I had been working as a regional actor at a summer stock theater company, eight shows a week in West Yellowstone, Montana, right next to Yellowstone Park. I was an actor at the Playmill Theater. And then I went home to Detroit, where I met my husband at church. And we married in 1988 and immediately got pregnant with our oldest daughter. And after she was born, all I could think about was being in a show. I wanted to get my dancer body back. I wanted to get back on the stage. And when she was just a few weeks old, I auditioned for a show and got a lead. During the weeks between audition and when our first rehearsal was, I had a complete nervous breakdown. And although I had been breastfeeding my daughter 100%, I was so distracted by my career and my goals to get thin again and get myself back on the stage that I had this breakdown and was hospitalized for six weeks and lost my breast milk and was not able to feed my child when I got out of the hospital because I had been put on many different psychiatric medications, one of which lithium, you can't take it while you're pregnant and breastfeeding because it, it causes abnormalities in the baby. So all of my dreams for being a committed homemaker slash actor went up in smoke as I was not able to reconcile the two which honestly are not very compatible. Props to all the actors out there who can be in shows, musical theater, do movies and TV. While caring for an infant, I couldn't do it. During that year and the year that followed, I had lots of time to think about the type of life I wanted to live and the person I wanted to be. And I determined then that if we were gifted with another child, and she didn't show up until three and a half years later, that I was going to make the commitment to be a full-time mother and let my theatrical dreams be postponed to a later day. So I went to work in my kitchen trying to figure out how to heal my brain. 
I determined that I wanted to get off every medication, and I was on Haldol and lithium, Stelazine, and Prozac during that year. And I found a psychiatrist who's willing to help me wean off of all of the meds. By the time my oldest daughter was 14 months old, I was off all of the medications. And I have often thought that the most difficult thing I have ever done was get off Prozac, the antidepressant. It was very, very scary coming off that drug. And I will always be grateful to my psychiatrist for her support and for her clarity that I wanted to do this without the meds. And she believed in me. And I, I absolutely thank and honor my husband, Paul, for his support of me in this determination to free myself from the meds. Because we had enough interactions with doctors who told me I would be on these drugs for the rest of my life and that I probably shouldn't have any more children. That week by week during that year, I became more and more hopeless that I would ever get my life back or have my dream of a large family fulfilled. It felt so far away and so impossible during that year that my depression was compounded and solidified to the point where it felt like everyone around me, neighbors, friends, family, extended family, were just looking at me with this um, distrust that I could figure out how to be a mother to more than one child. During the time in between my daughter's births, we moved to Nebraska, and then we moved to Boulder, Colorado, which is my home now. Detroit's the home of my heart, but Boulder is the home where I found my life and healing and crossed paths with so many people, friends, professionals, total strangers, who have helped me on my journey to wholeness. Boulder is a little mecca of natural healing. When you drive around town, it feels like there's a health food store on every corner because they're all over the place. And it is so wonderful to be in a community of like-minded people who are focused on nourishing themselves and doing the hard work of being a focused, dedicated mother. I met dozens and dozens of women who were making the same sacrifices I was in terms of our careers, professionalism, working outside the home in terms of just being out there overextended to the point we didn't have the resources or the time to properly breastfeed a baby. And I'm so grateful for those friendships, many of which continue today. My dearest friend, Laura, the, the decades of friendship and support that we've been able to offer to each other and the understanding that baby comes first, especially during that first year. And I am so grateful for this never-ending support that I had because honestly, it was the key to having my breastfeeding experience go well with the rest of our four children.
My first daughter, I was only able to breastfeed her for three and a half months, and then it was cut off by my breakdown. But with my next four, I was able to nurse each of those four for at least three years. And I'm so grateful for the culture that existed in Boulder, Colorado, where I was able to find support at La Leche League meetings and with people in my community and friends at church who were also making these same sacrifices of time. Because when you boil it down to its essence, breastfeeding a newborn is a 24-hour-a-day thing. The baby cannot go 12 hours without being fed during the night. They need to be fed two or three times a night when they're infants and newborns. And so you are on the clock, around the clock, working, eating, feeding the baby. It is a full-time job. And anybody who tells you it's not, anybody who tells you, oh, there's a workaround to this. You just make the baby sleep in their own bed for 12 hours a night. No, sometimes those infants get dehydrated. They're not getting enough nutrition. And sometimes they even have to be hospitalized because they get so sick. Babies get up to a third of their nutritional intake during the night. And moms need to be prepared to co-sleep, have a little cradle next to your bed, and bring your baby into your bed with you and breastfeed it, and then put it right back in the cradle. It's no big deal. You don't have to get up and walk down the hall to the nursery and wake yourself up completely and breastfeed the baby. Put it back in the crib and then go back to your bed. That nighttime parenting makes you crazy. If you will have your baby in a co-sleeper, especially for those first few weeks, nighttime parenting becomes doable. But during the day, you need to eat. You need to rest. The breast milk is formed while you are resting. I'm going to say that again. Because it's true for pregnancy too. After you eat a meal and then you lay down to rest for a little while, while you're pregnant, that is when your baby grows. It's the same with the breast milk. After you eat a meal, if you rest, that's your body creating the milk. So for all these women out there who are having premature babies and then are not able to make the milk, you need to slow down your life. You need to slow down. Give your body the chance to create the baby while you're pregnant, to create the breast milk. And those things happen when you eat food. You need to eat. You need to stay hydrated. I know this sounds crazy for me to have to enunciate this, but it is remarkable how many people don't equate a premature baby or an insufficient amount of milk to their daily habits. Your daily habits of fueling yourself with coffee and caffeine and then eating supper at night, that's not the way to make a healthy baby or make some breast milk. You need to eat. You need to eat in the morning, in the middle of the day, and at night. And if you're pregnant and getting into that seventh and eighth month, you may even benefit from a couple of snacks during the day and a snack in the middle of the night. And then rest. Let your body build the baby. It knows exactly how to do that. And let your body make the breast milk. If you are over-exercising, if you are over-committed, if you are focused on things outside your home, 
it's going to be more difficult for you to make a healthy baby and then make the breast milk to feed it. As for what types of food to eat to make the healthiest breast milk, well, that is a whole other conversation. And I look forward to having those conversations in the weeks and months ahead. There is no reason for you to have a failure, like I did with my first baby, of insufficient breast milk, which honestly, that came because I was fasting and I was eating barely enough food, barely enough food to even survive, much less make breast milk when I had my nervous breakdown. One day I ate an apple, an avocado, and a handful of sprouts. And I lost the baby weight. My body dropped 20 pounds in just a couple of weeks. But with the loss of the weight, I lost my mind. And believe me, you want to talk about regrets. I have had so many regrets about the way I took care of myself after my first daughter was born. And the lack of bonding with her through breastfeeding. And the lack of... Uh, just credibility I had in my own life as a mentally well person. Once you lose that, once you've got that label on your forehead, mental illness, it's very, very difficult to get it erased. It kind of stalks you throughout your life. And anytime you say or do anything questionable, people are like, well, she did have a nervous breakdown. Maybe she's losing it again. Or you will hear those words, she is an unmedicated manic depressive. If she would just get on her meds, she wouldn't behave this way. That's the other horrifying side effect of having a nervous breakdown. Yes, I have done my adult life off of psychiatric meds. I was hospitalized in 2012 for depression. I took just a few to keep the nurses happy. And once I came out of there, I did not take any more. Except for that one hospitalization, I have not taken one psychiatric pill since 1989. And I admit I struggle with mania and depression and other symptoms of mental illness. It's true, I do. But you know what? So does everybody. So does everybody. And I've been very open about this. I've shared my story in books, my own books, and books written by people like Kathy Kendall Tackett and others. My story has been part of newspaper articles. The Daily Camera did a big write-up in their weekly magazine, and it was carried all over the country. I was featured in a sidebar article on postpartum depression in Mothering Magazine. So my story is out there. I've been open about my struggles and I'm not ashamed of my struggles, but it has been difficult to do my adult life with that hanging over my head. And if this experience can be prevented, it should be. And if you're someone who perhaps has a history of mental illness in your own family, or you've struggled while you were a teenager and you're nervous, I'm here to tell you, you can do your life drug-free. 
there are foods you can eat that will nourish and comfort your brain activity. There are things you can do to help prevent mental, mental illness, especially postpartum depression and psychosis, which is the type of breakdown I had. I had a full-blown religious postpartum psychosis. And while I think the drugs were helpful during the manic and crazy side of my illness when I was in an emergency state, there were benefits to being medicated during those days. I reject the notion that someone who has had that experience will need to be and is required to be on psychiatric meds for the rest of their life. I don't believe it. So this is my testimony, my witness, my lived experience. And I hope that you will come back in future broadcasts. Jenny Hatch show on Substack, Rumble, various places around the web. I think there's even an Apple podcast version of this that pops up through Substack. I will share with you what I did to help prevent emotional illness after I gave birth to four more children. I've written about it in my book, A Mother's Journey, My Story. If you want to read that, it's available on Kindle. But if you want to hear it directly from me, I'm going to be talking about this subject a lot in the coming weeks, months, and years because so many people over the last two years of COVID have had their first breakdown and they're floundering and wondering what's around the corner for them. And all I can say to you is that these brain diseases can be healed. They should be healed mostly without medications. And if you look to medications as the only source of healing for you moving forward, you are limiting yourself, literally limiting yourself from potential wellness that could even translate for you moms out there into having a healthier baby, a healthier postpartum, and breast milk that flows like cream. If you say, no, I'm not gonna get into my kitchen and do this work, I'm above that. This is the great lie that has been taught to our young people, especially the women, that if they do the work of cooking and cleaning and washing dishes and doing laundry, that they are somehow less than their sisters and friends who are out in the professional world working as attorneys and judges and doctors and lawyers, the great chefs. There's this notion that they're less. And I just want to tell you, you as a dedicated mom, you are the flower of society. You are the person who all of us should be celebrating and rejoicing over because you are literally the hand that rocks the cradle of our future world. And the power, you have so much more power than you know. The power that you held, hold in your hand when you take care of your own child and don't pass it off 
to the government, the nanny. The formula company, the drug company, the food manufacturers. When you do that work yourself, there is so much power that you are wielding. And the joy that will be yours when you have this family and everybody's healthy and everybody's functioning and everybody's moving forward with their lives. The joy. You can't even quantify it. So this is my message to you on this beautiful Sabbath morning. Let's all work together to make a breastfeeding friendly culture and society. This is Jenny Hatch. Thank you for stopping by. I hope you have a wonderful day.